Coming up on today's slightly later than usual show, I'm talking to Eleanor Kay, Executive Director at the Newton Venture Programme, and I'm also talking to Olivia, a recent graduate, talking to us all about what her peer group and she is looking for from employers. We spend so much time discussing what Generation Z are looking for, maybe it's time to ask them. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared. Apologies to everyone listening. We're having some technical difficulties. I'm dialing in on my phone from Lisbon, where I've just checked into a hotel for Web Summit. But Akish, loyal as you ever are, I'm sorry you're not here with me. You're back in London. Thank you for making the time. That's all right. No worries, mate. We'll, we'll get through this. Tech problems or no. So we'll get through it. Akish, what would you like me to do whilst I'm in Lisbon? Um, I'd like you to get a selfie with two of the keynote speakers on the main stage two of the keynote speakers okay yeah. um i mean i know i know that sam our um erstwhile social guru probably needs to have a restraining order put on him where toto wolf's concerned so i don't think that's a good uh he he was actually one person that i i thought uh you should have one on there actually he's probably in in a in a, in a good mood because mercedes did all right this weekend in mexico well, yeah, but they're still, you know, still probably smarting about Red Bull cheating, right? Yeah, but, you know, he's probably here to talk about technology and spend caps and wind tunnels or whatnot, mate. So, uh, yeah, he, he's, well, he, he'll probably like Sam bothering him because he won't have Martin Brundle from Sky Sports bothering him uh, like he does every weekend. So, yeah. Well, look, we're on Web Summit. The show's going out a day later than it normally would, but we're going to be capturing loads and loads of content whilst we're out here that's going to be going on Tech Talks Extra. So remember to subscribe to that. We'll put a link in the show notes. But today we've got a chat all about getting new people into the industry, both from a founder and investor perspective, but also uh, from people who are brand new into the sector. So two different interviews, two interesting voices to listen to. Uh, we'll hand over to the first interview. And we'll be back with some comments on it afterwards. So today I'm joined by Eleanor Kay, Managing Director of the Newton Venture Programme. How are you? I'm well. What a great day it is in London. It's super bright, um, a bit chilly, my perfect walking weather. Well, yes, there is. It's quite, I don't know, I'm only 35 miles away in Kent, but it's quite blustery here. Yeah, it was a bit windy. I have a five and a three-year-old, and the walk to uh, nursery and school was a bit was a bit blustery, but yeah, <laughs> made it back in time. It's all good. Um, before we get into anything else, do you want to tell us who Newton Venture Program are? Yeah, of course. So we're a joint venture between Local Globe VC, so their pre-seed um, venture fund, and London Business School. And basically, a long time ago. Um, they they got together and realised, you know, there's a, a, a diversity issue in venture capital. Uh, London Business School wanted to do a venture capital programme and wanted to do it with the best of the best. So they uh, got in touch with Local Globe and Local Globe got in touch with London Business School and wanted to create a, a, a programme that would address the training in venture capital um, and also the diversity issues. So Newton Venture Programme was born. Um, originally, it was meant to be a on-campus programme at London Business School for um, aspiring uh, fund managers. And when COVID hit, we sort of pivoted, as, as did every other tech company out there, and went digital. And we ended up with um, 
an inordinate amount of interest. I don't know if you know much about venture capital and the training that goes on, but it's a bit of a traditional in-house training program, learn on the job. Uh, potentially you could end up screening many pitch decks and not really understand the full life cycle. I suppose I've got to be perfectly honest. I've been doing this podcast for years and to me, venture capital is kind of that textbook definition of high risk and potential high growth. And beyond that, it's kind of my, my knowledge of, oh, that's venture capitalism kind of stops there. Totally. I guess I'm the the perfect candidate to talk about this because my my knowledge was also extremely poor where before, uh, you know, you sort of have these ideas of, of what it what it could be like and the people who are in there. Um, but having done the programs that we're running, which is essentially what it is, it's a training program, training and development program for um, aspiring and practicing uh, venture capitalists. So we've got the sort of intro to VC fundamentals program, digital, online, globally accessible, um, 60 uh, people per cohort taking part, um, learning about sort of, well, the fundamentals of venture capital. So we're, we're talking there around um, from intro to VC, what the ecosystem is, how it's funded, what happens with the money, who's involved, um, we got to talk about the legals, the valuations, uh, negotiations. It's it's quite hands-on. We've got lots of applied learning as part of it. Um, and that's that's really giving people a really good baseline of what venture capital is. And there are so many aspiring venture capitalists out there. And, and it's sort of trying to break into venture is very difficult. But if you've got that kind of backing behind you, it's it's certainly a good step forward. I might say some stuff here that's just stupid so in advance i apologize but um i've never really talked about this or thought about it in any real great detail other than to say oh there isn't a great lack of of diversity across this particular sector i mean there isn't great inclusion of diversity across the sector as a whole but i would kind of assume if you want to break into being a venture capitalist you need a lot of money in the bank and that might be wrong um and if you want to do it, if you want to have, if you're going to have a lot of money in the bank, then you're probably going to be reasonably privileged, and therefore, all of a sudden, you're probably excluding a whole group of diverse individuals because, by unfortunately, by the very nature of privileged, it tends to be um, not diverse. And so, I suppose those are barriers that you've got automatically before you even try and kind of expand the the, the diversity within that population. Totally, around forty percent of venture capitalists are from Stanford or or Cambridge or. Um, Oxford, um, Harvard. So that's that's straight away a massive barrier, right, to overcome. What what kind of what kind of hope has somebody like me who studied, studied media studies at Northampton Uni uh, to ever break into this, right? So is is that just though because the perception is you need a lot of money to do this? I mean, do you need a lot of money to do this? I think it depends on what what your aspirations are. If you want to raise a fund then it's about having a really solid investment thesis. Like, this is what I'm interested in. I'm interested in pre-seed, fintech, UK-based. Um, uh, I'm going to invest in diverse founders or female founders or, or whatever whatever your own thesis is. And then you raise the fund around that. And that is networking. That is knowing what you need to talk about. And And I think those barriers are coming down. As we're seeing, like... Um, funds popping up everywhere, which have got high net backing, high net worth backing and and support from the ecosystem. I don't think the ecosystem, the VC ecosystem is is blinded to this diversity issue. And, um, you know, having a diverse 
a number of diverse voices in the room means that you know different problems are being heard and and you mentioned earlier on like you know thinking about it's not just socioeconomic status it's that it's gender you know a, a report just came out today um around uh i think it's sort of like three percent of of funding is going to all female teams and that's from unconventional ventures that was that was today like if the people with the capital choose where they are um, investing that funds and they don't see the problem the same way founders do. So uh, Femtech, for example, are male, found, male venture capitalists going to invest in Femtech issues when they don't understand the problem? And so it's, it's about the deployment of that capital and the problems that are getting solved. So that that diversity issue, whether it's not in whether it's in the venture capital funds or not, and actually it's something like I think it's fifteen percent of VC general partners are female. So it's a cycle. The problems aren't getting solved because the the problems that affect say fifty percent of the population females aren't getting solved. Because there's no understanding, the people who are, who have the capital don't understand the problems that need to be solved, and that that's the problem. So the more diverse voices that are in the room, in the venture capital funds, in the investment committees, will support more more uh, solutions that affect the world, the like the reality of the world we live in. So if if that's the obvious solution, how do new how do Newton venture? Uh, program try and address that how you know what are you actually doing to try and increase the people in the room so I guess it starts with who we're getting on our program so we actually use something called blind hiring um it stemmed from uh the civil service this this idea of of, of removing biases around hiring and this program called be applied which we use have the opportunity to mark answers without any predetermining characteristics attached to them. So we don't know people's names, countries they're from, their background, their first language, where they studied. And so just by using blind hiring, we end up with a diverse cohort of people who want to change the venture capital ecosystem. So that's the, that's the first step. Then we're training them. So uh, our, our diversity figures, and, and I, I know... Um, diversity is extremely important but it's more down to the individual person and thinking about what they are trying to do individually and then collectively as a group what impact can they have so we talked earlier about the fundamentals program but we've also got the fellowship program and that brings together 37 folks in person at London Business School and and we bring in um, top decile practitioners from across the VC ecosystem to talk in depth about real uh, real things that they've gone through and help them go over those um, issues themselves such as raising a fund for the first time I mean that must be such a huge ambition for some people because they genuinely believe that they can deploy capital in a fairer and more equitable way. So by using the blind hiring, we ended up with a 52% female 
uh, cohort. So the need, the the sort of the blockage there that could have potentially been there had we had bias um, recruiters or you know people reading the room. I'm not. I, I I mean, I'd hope to think that it would be a 50-50 split, but you never know. Biases are there. Everyone has them. But by using blind hiring, we immediately saw that, you know, it's not a numbers problem. It's potentially a biases problem. Um, and we've got numerous people joining from all around the world. People flew in from Lagos, from America, from uh, Brussels, uh, Middle East. Like, one incredible selection of people in one room, all wanting to learn about venture capital, all wanting to, like move forward in their career and they've they've started a, a syndicate together and this came by putting these people together who all have the same similar sort of thoughts mentality around like deploying capital to to solve problems that you know they believe in and they've done their first investment and this is this is down to them we didn't help them with that they they did that themselves and i'm so proud of like everything they they are doing so far you've touched on some statistics there briefly but i know from chatting before we hit record that you are keen to make sure that we don't just focus on metrics and putting people in one box sure i think i think and thank you for mentioning that the we often get asked as a program who is obviously trying to um create diversity in the venture ecosystem you know how many women how what what are your racial or ethnicity splits and I think we should be clear that people are people we're all individuals and there's intersectionality between all of us you know I'm a woman I I didn't grow up in the strongest socioeconomic (laughs) background um uh, but I am white and I have, uh, you know, privilege with that. And and that's something to acknowledge. But everyone's backgrounds make people who they are and their experiences. And just because somebody didn't have the same education as you doesn't mean they don't understand a problem as well as, you know, the next person. And I think it's just around that messaging is, you know, the outcomes of our program are things like I mentioned earlier, the syndicate, the friendships, the connections, um, they're investing each other's VC funds. Um, you know, it's, it's quite incredible. We're seeing very sort of tangible outcomes from connecting people. And we've had 248 people do our program so far for the last two years. We connect them together through virtual and in-person networking events, um, we, we appreciate that networking is actually one of the most important aspects. And over interests, you know, we connect them over whether they're interested in ESG or fintech or health tech or climate tech, which, um, you know, is obviously a very hot, hot topic. Um, and people are making connections o- over and above whether they're female or <laughs> what their race is. And I, and I think that's, that's pretty special. Um, and they're so supportive of each other and we're supportive of them. And I think, you know, VC can be seen as quite a transactional industry, but I'm quite a people passionate person. And that, that is reflected in the way we work at Newton. 
we care about our learners. One of our values is around um, learners come first. You know, it's what what is the best outcome for our learners and how can we make that happen? And that might mean opening doors, connecting people, um, you know, giving them opportunities perhaps they might not have done if they'd not got done our programme. And so, you know, I'm very proud of, of Newton and our team and all the work they're doing. We're facing a cost of living crisis. Inflation's going up. Household spending is being squeezed. Consumer confidence is falling. There's um, there's a trepidation that, that funding might go back to safe bets. And I suppose safe bets typically aren't as diverse in their breadth what's the message to try and encourage vcs out there who maybe aren't part of newton venture program that they should continue to invest in something that might seem like high risk but is more diverse and is hopefully going to to tackle some problems that a more traditional business might not i mean i might put that back on you dave you're 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 um you in 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 you insinuated that a non, you know, a diverse founder might not be the safest bet. What, what's that to say about a diverse? It? A diverse. Let's let's put it this way then. I what I'm insinuating is that an ESG or, um, yeah, like you know, an environmental program that's kind of driven by removing plastic from the oceans or something in some part of the world that is perhaps maybe developing therefore might be run by people from a completely different background and might not have guaranteed returns in quite the same way as as a business that that might traditionally have got VC funding. I suppose it it doesn't fit something that appears as safer bet. Sure. I, I think, you know, this goes back to like fixing a problem that affects you. It's a bit nimbyism, isn't it? You mm. know, that that plastic in that ocean very far away from you isn't affecting you personally. So why would you fund that being fixed so I think it comes down to the the person with the capital what do they believe in do they believe in um you know doing good uh, in inverted commas um you know doing good or, or or fixing the world from an ESG perspective or are they looking to get rich and potentially that could drive someone's someone's thought process but I think we do need to be very careful around saying whether just because you don't understand that that idea doesn't mean you couldn't try and understand. You couldn't try and see what the outcomes are. And I do think, you know, everyone wants returns. That's, that's the world of, of venture. But why couldn't that be the next best thing that's happened? We all know the climate crisis is is terrible um why couldn't that venture capitalist decide that that's what they were going to fund and in the same way then that that founders and entrepreneurs coming from generation z and perhaps slightly younger millennials are mission and mission and and purpose driven do you think vcs coming in are are perhaps driven by slightly different ambitions than I th- yes they want returns but just making money i i think i think the opposite i think they are so we we run a um an applied learning exercise where we get people to choose up and coming uh businesses that potentially they would invest in in a in a fictitious newton fund and 80% of those businesses are, are sustainable um businesses and i think that and 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 a mix of 
uh, male, female, non-binary founders. And I think that's indicative of the change that we are making. If we can train up the next generation of tech investors who are thinking, I, I actually want to do good here, then I can only see positive outcomes from that. And I think the more that we're challenging those who think differently, the better. Just as a final takeaway, I mean, you're you're the managing director of the program. What's exciting you looking ahead? It feels like you turn on the news and everything's gloomy at the minute. So give us some good news. What what do you think that that people should, if they're listening, should be kind of positive about and taking away and thinking, yeah, there's here's some ray of light going on in the industry that gives me some hope that that we're going to get some good news. Oh, do you know what? I've I've been lucky enough to attend a couple of conferences recently. Um, women in venture capital in Europe. Um, ran by um, two amazing folks from Anthemus, uh, Sophie Winwood and and uh, Ruth Foxblader. And that was probably a massive turning point for me. Uh, it wasn't a tick box. It was just women in venture capital in Europe getting together, talking business, really connecting, making business decisions. And I'm still seeing the repercussions of that from that that conference moving forward. And that's where for me, I get so much joy meeting people who genuinely care about what they're doing, what they're investing in, the connections they're making. And and I guess, cause I'm not, I'm on the peripheral, I guess. So I'm making connections, not for transactional gain, but just to meet people. And, and, and that's what's inspiring right now, seeing what people are doing seeing what's coming through. And that's that does bring me a quite a lot of joy. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, good luck with the with the joint venture and the, and the, and the programme. And um, I hope that you continue to enjoy the weather. Maybe you get out to have a, have a walk without it kind of blowing your children away. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I'll let you know. <laughs> have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for having me. Right, what did you think, Akish? Um, there's, there's a lot to take from that interview and I think um, I think the fact of bringing a different image to the VC population um, I think having kind of diversity at, at the forefront but then also in the nicest way kind of challenging uh, a kind of quite an old industry or, or group of people and I think you touched upon it where you were like VCs traditionally you know are quite sort of privileged folk and you know some of the, the the kind of capital that they bring in may only benefit those of similar ilk um, but I think you know just kind of having that platform where different people from different walks of life can come in but then still invest and drive forward businesses that they're passionate about. I think that's great. Like, you know, very, very good platform and kind of what they're doing to um, encourage the kind of percentages, um, you know, of kind of male, female, people of different ethnicities, these sorts of things. So I think it's, right, it's good. To me, Eleanor sounds like a really fresh voice, which I think is really important in that space. She... She, she she sounds like you know yes yeah, so I I'd agree with you fresh voice she's challenging but also she's bringing she's bringing results to the table there's like and 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 often not saying on this show because obviously we only have very 
you know, credible uh, guests on our show. But like a lot of the time, the, the co-hosts maybe not, but the guests absolutely, definitely co-hosts not credible. Um, guests uh, a lot more credible. Uh, right, but I, I think. Yeah, when you hear podcasts or when you hear interviews, right, a lot of people have great ideas. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to challenge this. You know, I'm going to turn an age old industry of of traders, for example. I'm just using this as an example. But, you know, of, of traders to be 80 percent female in the next two years and something like that. And it's just like, well, how are you going to do that? What have you got? What infrastructure is in place? What plans? What um you know, kind of uh, platforms do you have to raise awareness to do these things? But what Eleanor seems to be doing and doing well is she she's she's got a, a kind of good cohort of people. There's different people always coming in. I mean, she talked about an event where people from like Lagos came in and all, all over the kind of world, and then they built this, you know, kind of syndicate, and now they're investing into organisations or or you know, kind of um, the, the industries that that they feel passionate about and you wouldn't really have that because for me personally and i'm not that old but you know vcs were always like a very rich boys club right group group of pals load of cash and how do we get rich and get our names in forbes so i'm i'm here in as i said in in, in lisbon for web summit and i guarantee you that the profile of of the investors the vcs who are here on the floor i don't think will surprise me and i will hold my hands up and i will i will own up if i am wrong and if during this conference i see vcs who don't fit the demographic that i am expecting to fit i'll tell everyone that but i'm very much expecting to see white european men yeah um and to your point people will invest in what they're passionate about so if eleanor through her program through the program through the joint venture can get more women in can increase diversity can change the demographics of the people who are investing then it's going to change those numbers that we're seeing that she's referencing in scandinavia where uh so little money is going into all female founding teams because there will be people who are passionate about what they are doing exactly and 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 i think that passion will drive um performance right and then obviously and productivity and and if that goes up then you know the 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 kind of revenue starts looking a lot better and starts taking care of itself which then means these vcs and these investors and funders whatever you want to call them um they will be more than you know kind of happy to 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 stay engaged stay involved and, and kind of get um yeah you know kind of get the um get the organizations going up and up i guess uh brilliant to welcome eleanor onto the show and to hear her views now Keisha, i've got another question for you before this next interview if you could rewind the clock and talk to yourself just after you graduated what questions would you ask um what questions would i ask um i i would ask my, myself when i graduated you know are you fully confident in like the career choices that you're making or you know i'd maybe ask myself kind of are you happy or would you be happy at 30 doing what i'm doing now i don't know put me on the spot there the reason i ask is our second guest is i mean and she's not going to appreciate me saying this but she's effectively me 16 years on or 16 years ago so 
we often talk about what people are looking for, what the market's looking for, what managers should be thinking of when it comes to the new fresh generation of talent that's coming through, right? But we very rarely actually talk to that generation coming through. So I went and found the person who's just left Essex, having studied at university there and then been in a student's union officer role, which is exactly what I did. I was an Essex graduate who then did a year in the student's union and came out and went, what am I going to do? And I decided to, to ask her what her expectations were of work and what she's looking for from companies. Um, any ideas what this interview is going to turn up? Uh, progression, flexibility, you know, room to grow, independence. Olivia is Generation Z. She's come out of university with an economics degree. She spent a year in Students' Union, as I said. It's kind of what I did. And I thought that it would be an interesting way to just re recast or or uh, put a dis slightly different light on that conversation. So this is for all those hiring managers out there who are trying to work out what young people want. Here's a young person telling you exactly what they want and what their peer group are expecting. So I'm chatting to Olivia. And to be totally transparent, Olivia has just left Essex University having spent two years as the sabbatical officer looking after sports and societies, which is what I did 16 years ago. So <laughs> how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I think it's an exciting opportunity to get involved in something, but also even all those years later, the shared experiences of just managing students and loving sport at uni's. Pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And you studied economics? Yes. So I did a three it was a four-year degree because I did a placement year in it. Mm -hmm. So graduated with first BA economics with placement year. So congratulations. Thank you. Much better degree than I got. <laughs> um, why did you study economics? Did you have any kind of idea of what you wanted to do with economics when you decided to, to study? So my A-levels were really mixed. I did maths, economics and physical education, as well as doing my EPQ, which is an extended project. And I did mine on the voting rights of FIFA so I picked that just as it tied in both avenues as I loved I went to an all-girls school so I think I was quite fortunate in that I loved sport it was these are terms that I got at university that it was a boys thing or that economics was something that boys did and that never dawned on me having gone to an all-girls school so um yeah I picked economics as an A-level I think more from my parents said I'd be good at it it worked with what I was sort of interested in my both my parents have their own business so um was a bit of aware of that but I love PE and it wasn't until probably year 13 I decided whether it be a sports science degree or economics and then Essex fit quite nicely because it was a campus uni not too far away did re did really well for economics and yeah I think when I just saw the campus it felt at home and I'll be honest my grades weren't A stars all round and an open day at Warwick it was if you're not getting three A stars don't bother fundamentally and yeah I think A levels can be daunting for anyone but university clearly can change that round because I ended up graduating quite well with it too. Yeah absolutely I mean but did you so obviously you kind of have that idea and your, your mum and dad were an influence there mm. but did, did you have a view on it wasn't like you were going into university going I would like a, a career in X it was just this is a subject that I enjoy. Yeah, so um, I'd done, I think it's called the Morrisby Report while I was at school. So it just is a field of tests and it comes out with what you'd be good at or interested in. It came up with things around actuarial science, um, 
going to actuary and um, stockbroker. There was loads of different things that came up and it all sort of touched on economics in one way or another with it. And so I didn't know what I wanted to go into economics wise even now. I like the international side. I like that it was something real. What you hear on the news made more sense to me at the end of the day. I was understanding what was going on in the world. But I've never really known exactly I want to be one thing. And sometimes it really bothers me because if maybe at 15 I'd wanted to be a nurse, then it's a very clear path. You study that uni and you go on placements and you start working in a hospital. Whereas maybe it's a blessing as well. My options even at 24 are still incredibly broad in liking business, um, understanding economics, and the experience I had my placement year in project management. So, yeah, it doesn't make it much easier, but I think it helps outside as well. So you're good with numbers. You've got a good degree, very good degree. Um, you've got extracurricular interests and activities. You're sporty. You kind of fit the profile of, of a graduate that a lot of organisations would be interested in, especially in technology where, you know, that understanding of numbers, I dare say possibly project management or business analysis would be intriguing what are your expectations of a workplace because you've just spent a couple of years in a very strange role that doesn't necessarily from my own experience doesn't necessarily ideally prepare you for what working in a, in a large corporate might be so what what do you think you're looking for oh that's a tough one so I think working in a students union it is an extended family it's a very different working environment to what I know of the corporate world from my placement year so I've seen two sides of it um on my placement year times I felt almost like a number it wasn't very personal it was hard it, it felt a lot more like a job than working for the students union I it was more of a team we excelled because we worked together so I think moving forward I've learned that company culture their values and feeling like more than more than just a candidate and a successful candidate but more than that while you're working there I believe is really important but also somewhere where they're going to challenge you as well um I think's important I'm quite I think I was very fortunate working for Shoots Union they wanted to develop us they knew we were only there for maybe a year at a time and did a lot of growth and feedback and when something didn't work out it wasn't door shutting or fearful I think everyone owned up to it at times but it was what can you do better from it or it was very supportive at times that made everyone the best versions of themselves so I think that's what I definitely like moving forward and feeling yeah, quite secure, but also that they've got your best intentions at heart when it comes to challenging yourself too. Because I think that can be quite scary in being challenged, but in a productive way. A lot of organisations out there at the minute are wrestling with the idea of we need to be flexible, but how flexible do we need to be? And should we have people in the office or should people work from home? And a lot of energy and expenditure has kind of gone into making sure that people are productive but at the same time they feel like they are part of a family or they're buying into that mm -hmm. organization's purpose 
How much is it something that you and your peers, your friends are talking about? I think flexibility is always a nice thing. I don't think I could completely work from home. Um, Having somewhere to go into and the connections you can build in person is definitely next to none. It's Zoom and online services can replicate it a bit, but working through the pandemic, I felt like I barely knew people I'd worked with a year in comparison to a month when we were in the office. Afterwards, I felt like I knew them a lot more than the previous 11 months had led to. Uh, So definitely, I think myself, my peers, hybrid, because what a lot of people my age started working during COVID and have had experience of working from home, and it does give you more time and flexibility, especially on commuting and what options that leaves as well. So I've got friends that one that worked a month was staying in Greece for a month, but because they had good Wi-Fi connection and their employees were quite flexible, they were able to do that. And in their personal and free time, it gave a lot more opportunities for what's out there as well. Um, I don't think there's one box fits all because I also have friends that couldn't think of anything worse than being at home and being in a room that's their bedroom, their office and in a shared housing environment too. So I think it's quite broad, but also understanding that because it's broad, everyone's unique in what they want and what's going to fit the role the best. There are some things you can't do working from home, so you do have to go in for it. But when it can be, sometimes that's the most beneficial environment, especially trying to focus on tasks and open plan office is definitely not the best environment to focus in too. So I don't think there's a box that fits the answer and it's just really specific but working off from what works best for the individual too I think. You mentioned about values are there any values that in particular you you look for I mean I'll be perfectly honest I think I think when I applied for work the first time around kind of at the age of 21 or 22 whatever it was after my sab year uh, it was probably a, it was probably a tick the box exercise it was like, oh yeah, values, yeah, no, but I need a job. Yeah. Do you think Do you think it's more important now? I think when it comes to what pay, location, probably things a lot higher on anyone's list of what they want. But I think values probably comes at the third in it um, after pay and location. Uh, I think values have become more important with how society has shifted. I think working in a sabbatical officer role for shoots unit opened my eyes up even more than what university is and being a melting pot of loads of different people there too. Um, so that understanding on different values and culture there. But I think knowing that an organisation is open to it is what almost brings the comfort and feeling like you're more than just a number. Um, I th- yeah, I think it is becoming more important, especially when it comes to diversity and equality as well and where society's moving. But I think there are still other things that are going to always be important of that. But it's, I think almost what you put is the nice to, the nice to have section it comes top of. And look, this is this is kind of a... 
it's an extension of a lot of stuff that we've been talking around. But if, if there's an organization out there and they're looking to attract, they're looking to, to hire good talent into their organization, as all are, mm-hmm. and they're wondering how they attract um, you, your friends, Generation Z coming out of university now, looking for that first step. How can they make themselves appealing to someone like you? So, okay. So I think young people going into a role, they're, they're looking for employment. It's it's hard. It's daunting. You've just done education. You've followed a for a lot of people. You've followed a path that at school they tell you you go to university and you've you've figured your way out at times and you've made choices at times. But it's the first real moment that you're making a big choice and you're committing to something whether it's you're going into it for six months a year two years or is that's going to be the company that's your career for a long period of time but the way society has moved now is that you a lot more people celebrated for being an individual and who they are so feeling like you're going to get that somewhere as well that you, you see on the job description you know what the role is you know at, often at times what the pay is and what the location is, but it's the added stuff that you're going to get with it, which is a lot more desirable. So if, for instance, while I'm looking, if it says that it's going to be all in person all of the time, that's I'm not, I'm not necessarily wanting to work from home all the time at the other end of the scale, but it, it comes across as it's closing a door that it's not up for negotiation. When there are job adverts that talk about um, there being hybrid, but being around what the work schedule is, even though even if the schedule is you do have to be in all the time, that level of flexibility and the wording that they're using makes comes across as they're a lot more open-minded where it could come to other areas. Um, knowing... I think knowing what the role is going to bring to you as well, when they talk about personal development and we're able to go on courses and you're able to get these opportunities as well, that's add value. You're applying to do a service for them, but what what you can get back, I think pe- young people aren't thinking of, but it always looks as a positive. And it, it opens your mind a bit more that it's not just you're doing you're doing them a favor but actually you're still going to grow in your adult life and the opportunities that come with that I think even if it's not a massive thing just one thing that the company does I think in a bit more than just what they're asking for you I think is quite important and definitely screams a lot more than when you're looking at the text online. Thank you so much for your time and, and, and answering some quite broad questions. I think it's really interesting, uh, potentially for employers to hear what, what someone in your position is looking for. So from one Essex alumni to another, um, very best of luck finding that opportunity. Thank you.